Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're wrapping up our 2019 NFL draft coverage. Um, I'm Blake Murphy 7 here again with my podcast co-host, as always, the new Johnny Touchdown, John Venerable. John, how are you doing overall tonight? Hey, doing well, Blake. Thank you. How are you? Doing good. So we're hoping to get kind of a quick pod, obviously, just to tie up all the loose ends that we had. Um, I did want to start off uh, just kind of by touching back with uh, just – for, for starters, how strange it still is to have everyone talking about Kyler Murray, to have Josh Rosen be on a different team. It still is different and unique, John. I, I don't know if you've got any other thoughts. It's yeah, I would have thought it would have felt normal by now, but it still just doesn't feel normal. Perhaps it won't be until we get into training camp and actually see it on the field. Yeah, for me, it it had gone back to kind of being normal uh, right after the draft because you know, you associate Kyler Murray with the Cardinals in the draft process. It's different than to see him not participating in like team activities yet, but I, like I saw a highlight video that he posted on his Instagram account, which was probably just him and his people who did this. Um, but he's got Cardinal workout attire, throwing passes, you know, on a, on a practice field and just seeing him, with the Cardinal Redbird on his shirt, it was just, it, it was a very surreal moment, even more so than him, you know, with Goodell holding his jersey because he's in his suit, his pink suit, right? And even more so than the press conference that he had, this was like, oh, he's got, you know, Cardinal attire on to some degree and is out there back in the office, back working on his craft. He's, he's been consistent with posting his workout videos. So that was really the first time where I was like, oh, this is forgot. It's been it's been a week. This is the this is the way the franchise is headed now. In case you've forgotten, which I don't think anybody has. But yeah, it's it'll be surreal until you know we're midway through the season, and you know the team's taking its growing pains, and then it'll hopefully just become the norm with Kyler suiting up for the Cardinals every Sunday. But yeah, it is still a pretty bizarre scenario overall. Yeah, I wanted to read through some of the reactions that some of the bird gangs sent. And obviously, I, I don't know if it's, it'll be kind of up to you, John, if you think things have settled down since then, but it was still just something that'll be a reaction to go back to in the future, no matter how the pick turns out. But you know, the some people at least like I know we had um at Mad Mike 5200 said, I don't hate the person, I hate the pick, especially the way the Cardinals traded Rosen, we want Murray to win quick, or the fans will turn on him and kind. Um, some of the other things that we saw at least were, uh, Steve Loftus said he felt like it was taking all your hopes and dreams for the next five years and setting them on fire. <laughs> uh, we saw, I think it was Edward Green said, he said, uh, he felt flat. Aiden, uh, Aiden Lassiter, at least is the one who said I collapsed, cried, got really mad. Uh, oh man, favorite, these are brutal. These are brutal. <laughs> my favorite one was someone did like a family guy gif of like a care bear just leaping into the middle of a street in front of a truck. <laughs> which is there and then I think one uh, that was interesting that I know we'll be able to have as always the comparison was saying I think that Kyler Murray might be the reason why Kingsbury is the next Chip Kelly and Nick Saban for Cliff I'm like all right, all right. so there's a lot that people are going to have the one that was really funny is out of all of these like you know like comments that was there um, one from at Sean like one seven seven two seven zero eight four. It's like Kyler, welcome to the Bird Gang. Let's go! And so it's like out of all these different negative comments, and then there's one person who's like, "I'm ready, let hype, let's go." So uh, let let us get going at least on the podcast, John. We we don't have new news at least really to go over um, with Patrick Peterson. He wasn't at voluntary workout still today. They are of course still 
voluntary. Um, what we did want to hit was a few of your questions. We wanted to kind of finish up with our thoughts on the rest of the NFL draft and then hit up on the undrafted free agent class or see if there's any gems that are there. But first thing I know, we wanted to kind of put a bow on the rest of the 2019 draft. So John, let, let's talk real briefly just about the rest of the first round. Obviously the big surprises being the Raiders picks uh, that they had were, were a little unconventional. Uh, we also looked at the Giants taking a quarterback, no Josh Rosen off the board at the end of the day one. Uh, what were some of your thoughts, at least just on the overall first round of how it was? Cause it was after the first couple of picks, it was definitely a unique year overall where there were players and picks that didn't exactly go to the right spot. And then there were some that, you know, like Josh Jacobs to the Raiders, you could see coming a mile away. Yeah, I think the the general consensus is this this class this draft class had probably about four or five you know premier blue chip players, superstar players, and then there was a significant fall off. And you you look at the the range from I mean we could pile on the Giants all night for taking Daniel Jones at six. We look at the range between like six and maybe like twenty four, twenty five. A lot of those players are interchangeable. A lot of them probably got overdrafted. Um, and so that, that's going to be the biggest crapshoot to see who was right within that group of about 20 teams, 20 selections, you know, Darnell Savage to, to the Packers is underwhelming. I like Garrett Bradbury to Minnesota, but not at 18 Dexter Lawrence at 17 and nose tackle it in a passing league. I mean, there were some head scratchers for sure, which of course helped the Cardinals in securing somebody like Byron Murphy, who we would have thought pre-draft would have been a, a surefire top 12 pick um you know I, I think the, the just from my perspective bit, the experiences we've had over the, the course of the last three months how invested we've been in, in this process it's going to be hard for me not to also so th- associate this draft with Nick Bosons and the San Francisco 49ers and how he he mm-hmm. progresses throughout his career Kyler Murray can be a good player um and and the Cardinals may never win a championship I, I think a lot of people think Nick Bosa can be a Hall of Fame level player has that talent has that pedigree and you essentially gifted him to a division rival now and it's going to be worth monitoring especially now that they have the likes of D Ford on the opposite end it's going to allow them a lot of flexibility defensively in the car or excuse me the Niners pass rush which has been non-existent since Alden Smith left now they have a reinvigorated front seven uh, that they added Quan Alexander to DeForest Buckner's um, a significant better player than the Cardinals have on their defensive line. He's probably a top five defensive end, three, four defensive end, if not higher. Um, and so it's going to be hard for me to look at this class. And when you put Kyler aside, say, what did Nick Bosa do? Because if Nick Bosa became, you know, a borderline Hall of Fame caliber player, multiple Pro Bowl player on the same course as his brother, and Kyler's just okay, and you could have gotten that okay production out of Josh Rosen and kept Nick Bosa away from San Francisco – you know, I think we're all going to be reminded here soon, this is just my opinion, how special of a player Nick Bosa was on the field. Now, I don't condone any of his antics off the field. The Twitter stuff and the Instagram stuff was horrendous. And I, I was kind of done on him, like late in the process, especially when it seemed like the Cardinals were going to go after Murray. Um, but he has since come out and apologized, and he's in the right media market now to kind of level set him, hopefully. But <laughs> what, I, what I will say is that that, that pick – is going to be tied to, I think, what, with what happens with Kyle, Kyler Murray forever, in my opinion, because they're in the same division and he was the quintessential top player on everybody's board or close to it. Yeah, I would agree. What's interesting to me will be how 
You're going to have Nick Bosa will be tied to Quinn and Williams. Clellan Farrell is going to be obviously tied, at least for the fact that the multiple teams passed on Josh Allen. You've got obviously Devin White versus Devin Bush will be tied together. And then you're looking at the Lions taking a tight end top 10 for, you know, the second time in there, uh, you know, the last, I think, four or five years or so. And then you look at Ed Oliver, a guy who I think you and I, John, had him pegged as probably the next defensive impact guy after those two falling all the way to nine with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, It was interesting because when you're, you're right about how the fits go for the quarterbacks with – the a team like the Cincinnati Bengals passing not just on Josh Rosen, but also passing on Dwayne Haskins goes to the Redskins, a team that we had thought that Josh Rosen was almost going to be a lock to it, needed a quarterback badly. Mm-hmm. Um, you also take a look, I think, at the the landing spot. And this is what's interesting to me is when I did my study of with not just Daniel Jones, but of Drew Locke, a guy who a lot of people had as a first round guy, he falls, you know, the Packers had some interest. It's almost like on third and let's say it's third and four, third and five. Just from looking at the film, I almost feel like I would trust a guy like Daniel Jones on third and five over a guy like Drew Locke, as far as at least the accuracy. But when it comes to the explosive plays, being able to make maybe a throw on third and long, for example, let's say you kind of would trust your lock more. So that'll be something where I can't help but wonder if some of these other players and picks will be tied together as well, moving forward where, you know, it sure, is a quarterback driven league, but there's going to be a lot of times as there's always, as we say, there's the player you could have had at that position where you invested in, um, I know one of the drafts that I actually kind of liked was the, the Falcons really ended up going mm-hmm. for offensive line heavy. I like their approach better than I like the Houston Texans who have got jumped for it, almost kind of like the Cardinals did for Howie Roseman, years ago. best GM in football. Jumped up for Andre Dillard, the guy who I would have said if the Cardinals had made a trade with the Raiders and was looking to trade back, he was probably my favorite of the tackles in the draft. I think the Cardinals were looking more for guards or centers ultimately, but the you know, the Texans took some good, but still small school players that were there. And I think that'll be fascinating to watch the team that surprised, I guess not surprised me the most, but that was interesting was the quarter, the third quarterback that I had a guy who I thought was, you know, a high second round talent, at least and Will Greer goes to the Carolina Panthers. It seems like the Panthers are maybe not gearing up to move on from Cam Newton, but at least they're hedging their bets in that sense and so when you take a look at the teams that really profited I loved what the Cardinals did I also love what Washington did at least overall and the thing that was uh most interesting to me I think after those teams was looking again in the division Niners were interesting pulling in a lot of talent but the Seattle Seahawks I think was the team where that's going to be another draft that you'll see tied to just because they ended up taking a guy like a DK Metcalf one pick after Andy Isabella um They've got all sorts of kind of questions, at least with the uh, Doug Baldwin potentially considering retirement. He's a guy who the Cardinals have obviously had had a lot of experience and have been burned by. He's going to end up, as you're going to see him matched up with Patrick Peterson. Is that going to be where it's different? And then seeing the Chiefs with their whole offseason has been taking this dynamic, you know, MVP caliber quarterback who's now lost their starting running back and potentially now even like their all pro wide receiver and Tyree Kill. They move up for a guy who's never been a big college producer but had the four three speed um i think it's going to be fascinating to kind of take a look back on this action and reaction that we're going to see for these different teams because john i I gotta tell you like this 2020 draft that's coming up the talent that the cardinals acquired at wide receiver 
I think will be interesting because all these skill position players that they say that the 2020 draft is loaded with, it might mean that you might see some of these other positions of need, such as offensive line or defensive line that the Cardinals maybe didn't invest in. Perhaps all these skill players go early and the Cardinals can kind of profit and these guys who go after the two and other. So it was interesting to look at with the Cardinals by meeting some of those needs and seeing where the strengths of the draft is. Maybe it benefits the Cardinals. Maybe you look at it in a year from now and just say, hey, gosh, like all these wide receivers the Cardinals drafted last year and this year's class looks a bit better. So I don't know. Let's kind of tie off at least some of what was the other kind of overall feeling you had from the draft as far as either a team that you liked or team that you were a bit confused with as far as for some of their things. And then we can move on to uh, kind of that Cardinals focus. Yeah, I, I echo what you said about Washington. I mean, you know, ownership and general manager dysfunction aside, I mean, they've, they've put together a string of quality drafts and they do something I feel like the Cardinals have gotten away from, and that's target players from blue collar, blue chip programs. Mm -hmm. uh, the Washington Redskins, famously have taken an Alabama uh, draft pick in the top two or three rounds for like four or five years straight. They're addicted to them. And then, yeah, they didn't take one this year, but they took the quarterback from Ohio State that set the Big Ten on fire. That's the first, I believe, Big Ten quarterback to be drafted in the first round since Kerry Collins mm -hmm. from, I believe, Illinois back in like 96 or something ridiculous like that. So it's been a little while. But they, they parlay Dwayne Haskins, and they get a player that a lot of people think is a top-10 talent if he holds up physically, Montez Sweat. And then I also think you have to include, even though it's not in their draft cat class, they get Reuben Foster oh, yeah. uh, from San Francisco, and he's starting for them and didn't get a suspension. And, you know, I won't speak on the off-the-field stuff, but, man, you, they start to put together just a really fearsome um, front seven in Washington. You talk about the acquisition of Jonathan Allen a few years back. They've got – um, uh, what's his name? His name escapes me. The other defensive end, outside linebacker, that's been super consistent out of Purdue. Um, you know, it'll come to me. But so they've got they've got um, you know, bevy of talent there. They just can't get the quarterback position right. But I think talk about Haskins' comparison to Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is like vanilla ice cream. He can do everything just okay. But at the end of the day, he's got, you know, no flavor to his game. They posted some ridiculous highlight video the Giants did, and it was just him completing checkdowns and short passes to running backs and halfbacks and tight ends. And the caption, I think, said Daniel Jones out here dropping dimes. I mean, like, that's, that's embarrassing stuff like the Cardinals used to do. Um, so thankfully, the Cardinals haven't put out anything like that uh, in a little while. So that was a team I did like. As far as a team that I, I don't really care for their draft, I think – Carolina trading up for Greg Little, I think, was a reach. I think I think Carolina is desperate to fill needs over just taking best player available. And that Carolina team was pretty average last year. Brian Birds at 16 is good value. You know, but outside of that, they have really no playmakers in the passing game to speak of. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, they take Will Greer. Cam, you know, announced today that he's healthy. But, but who really knows at this point? I think that they, they've kind of – I don't know if their window to win a Super Bowl. We talk about that team that, you know, kicked the living daylights out of the Cardinals in 2015. They, like the Cardinals, have progressively gotten worse since then. I also think Detroit, I love Hawkinson, but can you really take Hawkinson at eight after you had Eric Ebron, you gave him away, now he's an all-pro? I mean, that that's a little bit troublesome, especially when you consider that their head coach is a Belichick disciple and would Bill Belichick ever take a tied in in the top 10 and I, I get he's not making the picks but he's got some kind of influence I think they would have been better when you got Devin Bush and Ed Oliver right there 
and, and you take a tight end for a team like Detroit that's got a lot of needs, uh, I, how much of a difference maker, I could be wrong, but how much of a difference maker is he going to be in terms of wins and losses compared to a you know, blue chip defensive tackle like Ed Oliver that's a, that's a perfect fit in your 4-3 defense or Devin Bush to pair with somebody like Gerard Davis. I just Even Jonah Williams who went pick 11, I, I think all three of those players are just better value for the Detroit Lions. And mm-hmm. uh, again, the, the New York Giants taking Daniel Jones, that's its own set of lunacy. But now running to 3-4, you have no outside linebackers and you pass on Josh Allen, who is a premier 3-4 yeah. outside linebacker. I mean, I, Cardinal fans can be frustrated with, with everything that took place, but at least majority of people would say that whomever has the top overall pick, if there's a need at quarterback, Kyler Murray is the obvious choice. And, and nobody really at this point is ripping the Cardinals for taking Murray in the sense that Murray's not a good player that's worthy of that spot. It's more in correlation with what happened with Rosen. But, man, picking eighth overall and taking TJ Hawkinson and taking Daniel Jones at six, those are even like the Clean Farrell situation in Oakland, Blake. Like, I get that. Like, you, you, he wants a 4 3 defensive end. That's probably the best one after Nick Bosa and Quinnen went. And really, a lot of the other guys have question marks, and you don't pick again until pick 24, and you don't trade up, and he's going to be gone by then. And nobody wants to trade up to four. So I get it. If you love that player, that's a very safe pick to me. I don't think he'll ever be elite, but I think he'll have consistently eight to ten sacks every year, and that's that's probably good enough for them. So it's a crazy crazy first round. Yeah, I actually even like as far as – pass rushes go like I know that Josh Allen has more of like he would have the speed and had a lot more as far as maybe the they both had production Allen maybe had more upside athletically but I, I as far as pure pass rush goes I like Allen maybe more as a Swiss Army knife Farrell maybe more as a developed guy with the edge rushing so it's not like it's a bad pick as far as you know what you're getting it's just more of you know the upside I think that you're right is it's it was just curious as far as why you would take that specific one I agree with you on the Lions like the, the Lions draft was a bit strange to me because yeah it was. look at Matt Patricia he's in a spot where he you know was potentially going to be a one-and-done coach last year a lot of people kind of bashing him as far as the way that he handled the team. He's kind of going into a make or break year instead of getting stronger on the trenches and getting an impact player to have this defensive type of identity. They take uh, the tight end and then they take a linebacker in the next round with Jelani Tavai. Uh, and then a little, just, little bit of a reach there too. They didn't take a, a, it's like, I like Tavai, but as far as a top 50 player, and then they didn't take a defensive end up until the fourth round it was a little yeah. I thought they really could have taken advantage of this draft class and and elevated them to a division contender with mm-hmm. a strong class because you're picking at that eighth spot that's the sweet spot because we knew two quarterbacks were going to go in the top seven and they had two premier players really Ed was you know I, I I know some Lion fans may have been hoping for Josh Allen but you had Ed Oliver sitting right there for you and they've got a couple defensive decent defensive tackles and they added you know the former uh, Patriot defensive end Flowers, but like could have doubled up on that. I, I just think this they missed an opportunity here to narrow the field from them and the Minnesotas. You figure Green Bay's gonna have a bounce back year. I think yep. Chicago will regress slightly, but to me, you know, it's I'm sure it's frustrating. Lion fans are a lot like Cardinal fans, where they go through these ebbs mm-hmm. and flows, but the team for the majority of their franchise is semi irrelevant. So I I sympathize with them. But, man, I, I don't know how, if you're a Lions fan, you can be happy with those first two picks. Yeah, that one was tough, at least. Another draft I thought that was a bit confusing to me, at least, was um, just with the with the Cleveland Browns, I liked the picks that they made as far as with Greedy 
and Sion Takitaki. Red yeah. Wine's a guy who I think is a decent safety. And, of course, you got Mac Wilson, who falls a long way from where some people had projected him to go at Alabama. They did take another kicker, which will be uh, fascinating considering they've drafted kickers in the fifth round in back-to-back years. Cardinals now obviously have the one kicker um, that was there for last year, local guy Zane Gonzalez. But what was interesting to me was, again, some of the news this week where people were watching Greedy Williams, a well-known press man, corner was playing back in the type of his own coverage about 10 or so yards off and got pretty easily beat by a, you know, a, not an insurance salesman, but it was a player who was not going to be probably an impact player for the Browns this year. And a lot of people were just looking at this saying like, we love the pick that they did for everything, but I'm looking at it going like with Steve Wilkes as the guy in defense, like how, how much is Steve Wilkes going to learn from the mistakes and adjust to the personnel that's there versus a lot of Cardinals fans are just going like, gosh, like, is this going to be kind of a one and done type of a thing where he's coming in and maybe the front seven fits you a little bit better, but it just feels like they kind of are in a curious type of a hire and they didn't seem like they were drafting that type of a talent to fit Steve Wilkes scheme. And so it'll be interesting to type and watch the one draft that I really like that not enough people I think are talking about is what the Broncos did after they traded back from their pick. Uh, They took Noah Fiant, who's maybe never going to be an elite tight end, but if you're going to be getting what the Colts got this year from an Eric Ebron overall, it's probably a good thing to be able to get in the first round. Got Dalton Risner, a guy who a lot of people see as a plug-and-play right tackle, if not at least a really good guard, moved up for Drew Locke, and then also got Draymond Jones in the third and uh, still stumbled into Justin Hollins, a really good linebacker out of Oregon in the fifth round. So overall, like even though the Broncos, at least you could take a look at and see like, is Locke going to be, it's not in the same class, obviously, as a Kyler Murray, but they really addressed a lot of the different needs that they did have and added a lot of talent. Like I, I love the fact that they were able to add Jones to that defensive line average. They really advance a guy who can block really well to and receive. So the Broncos, at least, even though they do have kind of this identity of ground and pound for that one, it is still an identity that they'll be able to have. And so I respected at least what they did, and I felt like they added a lot of really good talent. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think probably, Blake, I don't know if you agree with this or not. I, I like Drew Locke more than I like Daniel Jones. I've, I've been consistent on that since last year when he threw, you know, 44 touchdowns at Missouri. I think they went through a regime change. He's been through multiple coaches. And at the end of the day, he's got physical tools, as does Dwayne Haskins, that Daniel Jones will never have. And I would rather roll the dice on that, who gave me elite college production, than a guy who projects better at the next level, like Daniel Jones, who completed, I think, under 60% of his, th- his throws in the ACC. So I, I, I totally agree. When, in, in the Cardinals, that Drew Locke pick is interesting because the Cardinals were really saved at that point by the Denver Broncos because – the pick 48 was quickly approaching um, and in, I would think, like seven picks. And that's where Miami sat. And there was word that if the Cardinals had not um, – or if the Broncos had not taken Drew Locke, then the Miami Dolphins had worked him out, were tempted to take him at 48. They were, they were basically committed to coming out of the second round with some kind of quarterback, whether it be Josh Rosen or Drew Locke. And, and Schefter was saying that minutes before the second round started. And so the team that was linked to Drew Locke for so long with the Oakland Raiders, they kept trading down. So we instantly knew Oakland didn't have any interest. And so it was like, well, who's going to take Drew Locke? And then when the Broncos had back-to-back second-round picks, you just mentioned Dalton Reiser, somebody I'm a big fan of, which the Cardinals could have gotten a hold of him. Pick 41, but then 42, they take Drew Locke. I think that's when Miami got on the phone and says, okay, we know we're going to get Josh Rosen at some point. Let's try to recoup an additional pick. So had that not happened, 
Who knows? Josh Rosen might still be on the team. Hey, man, I think you're muted. You're correct. I was muted for that one. I just took a look. I was looking up the trade that they had. Cincinnati traded down about 10 picks or so to Denver. Denver moved up about 10. The one I know that our guy, Ben Albright, was talking about was he said it wasn't even Miami that was uh, looking because Miami was hoping to either take him or be able to recoup kind of picks. Yeah. Uh, it was the Packers was the one that was fascinating as far oh, as I heard that too. Yeah. That would have been a, an interesting uh, one. So perhaps th- this was an area where Cardinals wanted to get it done. Dolphins wanted to get it done. Maybe if they stumbled into lock, like how the Redskins stumbled into Dwayne Haskins without having to move up, things are, things are just different for the Cardinals. And we're starting to talk about, you know, are you on, maybe they start looking for a third uh, or maybe it was with the Chargers. Chargers somehow, or perhaps there even is a second quarterback that's there, and we're having all sorts of drama to deal with. So, uh, but let, let's go and move on and talk a bit about the undrafted free agent class with the Cardinals. I did want to at least kind of touch on that a little bit before we got into the uh, some of the Q and A that the fans had sent in. We do want to make sure that we get to your questions here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. But what people have been asking us so far this year, John, is the uh, who's kind of this year's Tony Jefferson? And that's a hard question to ask because – I Tony wish Jefferson, I knew. <laughs> yeah, and it's also that Tony Jefferson was an incredibly special case where all these people had second-round grades on him. You enter into day three and he falls. So it's like you see this occasionally where there was a Lyle Collins. He was a first-round pick who fell because his name came up in a murder investigation. No team was willing to spend even like a, a seventh-round pick on him. And that was what people had talked about was there was a rumor from his agent that said, hey, he's just going to not – sign if he gets drafted he'll go back to college he needs to get like this first round tender but came out after the Cowboys signed him it was a bluff all the way he would have definitely signed for the seventh round pick kind of tender so the Cowboys get him as an undrafted free agent he signs a big contract and is plug and play guy on their line so it was interesting where there's these little special scenarios that pop up Tony Jefferson was one of those where between the Cardinals and Jets Cardinals had an open spot at safety he comes to the Cardinals, the rest is history. He gets rewarded with a nice contract. So let's talk about that. There may not be a Tony Jefferson this year, but who would be a guy that you would think potentially out of this free agent class, there's about 12 guys that we've seen signed and other names that are coming in at least for a rookie tryout. Who would be the one that you would have at least that you would think John would be a guy that maybe has a chance to stick on at least the Cardinals 90 man roster. Perhaps they even have a chance to make the 53. Uh, We, we talked about before the call, like Brian Peavy, uh, 23 years old, 5'9", defensive back corner from Iowa State. Might as well load up on Iowa State players, right? He and Hakeem Butler probably know each other really well. Uh, I think, I believe a five-year senior was a, of course, pro football focus, first team All-American. Surprise, surprise. And he ends up an Arizona Cardinal. But very productive four-year, really five-year starter at Iowa State. Um, had, I believe, four tackles for loss last year, six picks in his career. Incredibly aggressive individual, um, is on the older side. So I think the experience that he brings to the secondary is going to be really lacking for the Cardinals outside of their top three, two or three corners in terms of years of service. So I think he's somebody who's going to try to make his mark, obviously, on special teams at the end of the day in the NFL. Is he quick enough to be the slot corner? Certainly can't play the X or the Y receiver with his height, but I think it's a name to look at because I, I believe he had, by um, certain media pundits, a fifth-round grade pretty consistently, maybe slightly higher. Incredibly high-character guy. I think he was first-team, all-academic all in the Big 12. 
um, was a team most valuable defensive player this year. Uh, of course, first team all Big 12. All the accolades you can think of, he's just undersized and, and doesn't you know, project to the next level. But again, if you're going to take a chance on a lot of these undrafted guys, take a, you know, take a chance with a guy who had over 280 tackles in his career at corner and six picks and 15 tackles for losses, 38 pass breakups. He had, I think, uh, three fumble recoveries, six four forced fumbles. So somebody who's just all over the field. Now, I don't want to say a poor man's honey badger, but definitely um, is well known in uh, the West High School area. Houston, Texas was where he grew up. So um, gets to say semi in the South with Arizona. So I'd be interested. In, I, I hope he makes the team because the, you mentioned it, Blake. This is the kind of player that the Cardinals haven't hit on recently since Tony Jefferson. They haven't had a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, an undrafted guy that has not only made the club, but made an impact with the club. I'm, yep. you know, Jefferson's an outlier, in my opinion, because I think the Cardinals could do that over again. They would have they would have re-signed him. They got stingy with the money. Kime didn't give him the restricted tag one year, the higher tenure that pissed Tony off. And so Tony went and made good money and has made a Pro Bowl for Baltimore. I think Kime would redo that. How many years in a row is Kime looking for depth at safety? So mm-hmm. I think if they could do that over again, they would keep Tony Jefferson. Uh, Brian Peavy just one of these guys, these late round picks, these undrafted guys, let's see somebody develop into a consistent starter. Um, because I think that that's, that's an area where Kimes drafts have been lacking in my opinion. Yeah. PV is interesting because like you said, with the highly rated, what's most interesting to me is the personality, the personal fit that we see. Um, one of the comments that I got and I had to double check it was, I know we saw the Cliff Kingsbury photo that he posted at least was saying he was going with the Cardinals. It was interesting to look at. Part of, again, is with Cliff getting to recruit some of these guys. Um, what I know that uh, with Dane Brugler, with his draft guide, he talked about the biggest thing, obviously, as far as, like, you're talking about all Big 12 honorable mention as a redshirt freshman, essentially, for Brian Peavy, all Big 12 honorable mention. Then he made the wow. second all Big 12 two more years in a row. So it's like, this is a guy who's got, like, the accolades. He obviously had the production. He was a starter for multiple years played I think in like it was started like 47 out of 50 games so you're like wow how did this guy fall the answer is ran a 4 6 8 40 didn't get a combine invite was small because he's just you know a 5 8 go. guy 190 pounds um, what Dane Brugler said was that PV's lack of ideal height length and speed disqualifies him for several teams but he's capable of making a roster due to the toughness and instinct so that's kind of the biggest thing is if you you know go into this rookie mini camp for that one you invited him he gets like a couple of picks starts kind of like shows the fact that he's got it or sometimes you'll see guys who go in and there's just a lack of athleticism that translates to the NFL so we'll we'll see at least as far as how it worked what was interesting to me was that there were two teams that really were huge on recruiting him one was the Iowa State Cyclones which as we know was a big 12 team Hakeem Butler came from that team and it was Texas Tech was the other team. He chose Iowa State over Texas Tech and Cliff Kingsbury. He played against Cliff Kingsbury for a few years. And so you're talking about Cliff being the guy on the opposing sideline, and this guy's making plays on the ball. That's where I've got a sneaky suspicion that as long as he doesn't, you know, uh, not show that he's not able to be capable, there is a possibility. So, you know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you just you go through camp and he's not signed and that's that. Um, some of the other players I know that were – um, signed and mentioned at least I had someone who actually talked to me who was a Boise State fan so that they were a big fan of AJ Richardson at least that the, he made a lot of plays there's a lot of wide receivers that you're going to have obviously with the Cardinals and so it'll be interesting for uh, if another wide receiver at least is going to be able to stick or not considering they drafted Keyshawn Johnson 
Maybe you're looking at a practice squad guy. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I know that he is a guy who wasn't necessarily the fastest either. Um, one of the things I would like to share, at least, and I did get this kind of as far as like, you can't really say inside tip because all the information is you know, publicly available. But uh, one player I was told to watch out for is the quarterback, Drew Anderson, who came from uh, Murray State. Um, you, know, you had Kyler Murray in the Murray State. What was interesting was that um, what I was told and I had to look up this to find out was uh, originally he was at Buffalo. Tyree Jackson was the quarterback. Uh, he was also an undrafted free agent. He ended up being given the job um, essentially without any type of competition. Uh, he was really good at Buffalo. They said that if he'd stayed at Buffalo, he'd have been drafted, but the coaching staff chose Tyree over him. So he transferred to Murray State. The team was just not good on the O-line. It wasn't good on the skill positions. But when you look at the production that he did in a I, I, almost identical offense to Cliff Kingsbury, I took a look and was kind of trying to isolate, all right, well, this offense looks just like Cliff Kingsbury. Like you saw the same air raid with the three wide, the trips right, the quick releases. It was like almost identical. I took a look. Their head coach um, that they had at their program trained for a few years under um, the current Browns offensive coordinator. It was a guy that we had actually even talked about at least um, – as a possibility for uh, the Cardinals, at least, um, defensive coordinator. Oh, gosh, it's going to, like, escape me here for a second here. Um, what year? Uh, it was, like, for three years. So, at Oklahoma State, he was there under Todd Monken. That's who it was. So, when you're talking about there Aaron Raid and Big 12, he was under Todd Monken, was on the staff at the same time. I believe he wasn't the wide receivers coach, but he was under Todd Monken. Monken leaves and takes over at Southern Miss. He seems like he follows him to Southern Miss for a few years, learns some of the offense. He gets the job over at Murray State runs the same type of offense. Um, when you look at some of the stats that Drew Anderson did put up, um, he threw for over 500 yards in a game, threw for multiple touchdowns on a Eastern Michigan, or I believe it was Western Michigan. Uh, Western Michigan had two guys who got drafted. There were two corners who were now like in the NFL, and he threw for over 500 yards on those corners. That's that was crazy. Also Western Michigan, I believe it was, or was it Central Michigan? I think either way it was the team that had um, – the top five pick at a wide receiver, at least he's with the Titans now. Um, but yeah, they had also, it was just this kind of offensive explosion. Anderson was the quarterback in that game. Um, he was the top PFF quarterback in 2017 outside of the power five conferences. So you're talking about a six, four guy who's got a good arm, who doesn't have a lot of talent around him, but ran the same style of offense. If that's the case and he's, a fit for Cliff Kingsbury, maybe in a way that Brett Hundley isn't as much. That would be something to watch. I don't know if it's going to be a spot where he makes the practice squad. Maybe it's a bit different. He'll obviously be more in competition for the number three spot. I don't think he'll have a chance to get the number two spot, mostly due to the relationship Tom Clements has from Green Bay with Brett Hundley being a veteran in the league. But keep an eye out. If he ends up being that guy who kind of impresses enough where they're saying, hey, we can't let this guy go to another team. Or if you're saying this is the guy we're going to make in our practice squad, just because of that fit, uh, I think that would be really interesting to watch. So that's the one guy that I kind of had, you know, someone passed on that tip and said to watch against for me for that one. But you know, you had an offense with no drafted players thrown for 500 yards on a third round and a fourth round cornerback. Hey, that's, that's something that you'll want to watch out for. Yep. Uh, were there any other players that were undrafted that kind of stood out to you, John? Uh, for me, it was just looking at the rest of the team, and it was interesting to see those priority guys. You did have another running back that came in. Um, Drew Belcher was a tight end out of Maine. Uh, Max Williams was signed for the team, and that's kind of the – 
one other question I think that we can talk about this a little bit more as far as the tight end position and how Max Williams may potentially fit but was there anything else that you noticed at least just from the undrafted class or just the moves that the Cardinals had made where you feel like there may be another little diamond in the rough Yeah, I don't know if I want to be on the record for any undrafted free agent uh, panning out. <laughs> um, there's a tackle from Rutgers, Tariq Cole, who was actually, for as terrible as Rutgers was, was actually fairly highly rated. Um, and I think he had a day three grade um, by a couple different outlets that I checked. Um, he's incredibly raw. He's 6'6", about 320. But again, multi-year starter, um, somebody I think the Draft Network had a fairly decent write-up on him, three out of five stars, if I can remember correctly. So somebody that they fully expected to be drafted. Now, I'm not sure if his future, if he has a future in the NFL, is at tackle because he played left tackle, or is it kicking inside to guard? I will say, if you look up pictures of him, he's pretty well put together. He was just in part of uh, one of the worst college football programs in the country. So, uh, you know, you can, you can take that with a grain of salt. Certain guys overcome, you know, certain adversities within their, their, their college program. He certainly looks like uh, somebody who could be productive based on his physical traits alone at the next level. I will say there was an article that came out. I cross-checked this from uh, September of last year. And basically Tariq Cole talking smack to Nick Bosa saying that Nick Bosa has never gotten a sack off of him in the Big Ten. And so he's got a little moxie to him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's been a multi-year starter. So he's seen plenty of the Bosa, the Bosa brothers. Uh, so maybe he's the, the Cardinals' uh, Joe Thomas where he's a good player on it, just an egregious team. But, he was, you know, you know me, Blake. They ignore the offensive line for the most part with the draft. And so I'm always kind of looking for, you know, a, silver lining with some of these late round picks these undrafted guys because at the end of the day the Cardinals can add as many skill players as they want if they do not have an improvement up front based on what we saw last year it's going to be another long season yeah I definitely agree that's where uh, what I was a little surprised by was that they didn't reach out to uh Bo Benchwell Benchwell was one who had a lot of Blake, starts but... I think that was the biggest point of contention with a lot of the fans online that I've interacted with basically came out and said, why didn't we sign this guy? I, I don't know. I have no, I, there's no good reason. I would have offered him the most money you could have as an undrafted guy. But again, they had three seventh round picks and they didn't take him with any of those yep. picks. So what is that? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And the same was also, I believe it was, um, unless it was mistaken, it was Marquez, either Ivy or Marquez Tucker, I believe was the one. Uh, he went to the bears instead. And that was a guy the Cardinals had visited a few times and worked out a few times um and uh yeah marquez tucker from southern utah small school guy but he had all of the physical measurables and the athleticism and the cardinals yeah, it looked like they went into a different spot with taking joshua miles i know a lot of people who did the seven round mock drafts they took a look at that visit and kind of tied him to the cardinals a couple of times at least for that so that was the one that was interesting was you know you had a guy you met at least at the senior bowl and talked to but for some of these you know uh meetings and some of these different things we don't see like there was no sign or knowledge that we had that the cardinals had worked out hakeem butler none of that was reported pre-draft of anywhere we could see and yet here we go the cardinals are saying hey we had a great meeting with you and a great private workout so it shows a lot of times john the more that we can sometimes think we know even with some of these late picks a lot of times the less we actually do uh, i hear here 
Yeah, uh, let's touch at least for that one. Um, I did want to get in. Uh, I, th I think the Max Williams kind of debate as far as a blocker and the rest is kind of interesting, but we kind of touched a little bit of that on Twitter. It'll just be a, a fight to figure out who's the best player in camp. I think you and I agreed that they keep three. I did want to take some time out and I forgot to do this at the beginning of the pod, but we wanted to give a shout out to our new favorite uh, coach on Twitter, Jeff Fisher, who uh, I was going to say, like, I w wanted to have like seven maybe nine reasons why we, he's our new favorite coach, but mostly just because his sense of humor in the account has been fun. He replied to a couple of our different, uh, I think it was tweets, China, which I think is a little bit of a surprise, but like immediately right, yeah, replied. Exactly. <laughs> so I think it's one of those interesting things, John, of, and this is going to be the question I'll pose to you is, is there going to be kind of maybe a more of a favorability when people are gone or out of the league as far as competition that you see? Because the thing that I immediately thought of was a lot of contention between Cardinals fans and Jeff Fisher for a number of years. Do you think there may be a similar relationship Cardinals fans may have with Bruce Arians, or is this going to turn into kind of a rivalry potentially when they play him again? Where it's like, gosh, this is the guy who retired, ditched out on the Cardinals. We went through an awful year. He wasn't a part of it. And then, when the going gets tough, you know, he got out. And then now is all of a sudden with this new team coming out. It's like, sorry, guys, I guess I'm not a Cardinal. I'm a Bucks fan now. So do you think that this is going to be more of a point of contention for Cardinals fans, do you think? Or is this going to be more of kind of, hey, bygones are bygones. He's moved on. He's in a different spot. We can kind of enjoy and have fun with this now. We can retweet the Bruce Arians quotes. We can kind of laugh at the same things. Like, what is your opinion on where the Cardinals are at with some of these ex-coaches that you think that is it going to be a different point of contention? for fans moving forward i hope not with with regard to uh your earlier point I, I don't think anybody's made a significant face turn like jeff fisher in the in the past six months it's his redemption tour like i'm gonna nerd out on everybody but like jamie lannister it's almost like he that's what he's doing on twitter and he's <laughs> he's he's playing along with with a lot of his critics and and it's kind of make make him uh, a really likable individual online, whereas you didn't get that sense when you, you know, saw him with the media all those years, probably getting his brains beat in in St. Louis. But you know, as, as far as your your point about Arians, I, I do think that the fan base, because we're sensitive and we're fans, there'll be a little bit of contention if Arians has instant success and is able to immediately make them a contender. And we've seen Bruce Arians do it before. But like, if the Bucks are a middling team. It could very well be, and whether or not they beat the Cardinals this year, it's totally irrelevant. They're not a division rival. You only see them once every, you know, what is it, three years or two or three years on rotation. So depending on how you finish in the division, um, with compared to them, I think the the biggest pill to swallow I think would be to see, and I it wouldn't bother me, but for I, I would just say the general fan to see Bruce Arians and former Cardinal VP player personnel Jason Light put together something like Kime and Arians did in 2013 in Arizona and then immediately make them a contender and they would really have the trump card because I think if if, if he's going to do this he's going to do this with Jameis Winston Jameis who is much, certainly much younger than Carson Palmer ever had could argue have has a bigger ceiling in today's NFL with his mobility and so I think that would be the only way for Cardinal fans like if his legacy in Tampa eclipsed his legacy in Arizona from a national perspective which is asking a lot. That's yeah. it's a division with Cam and Drew Brees and Matt Ryan. Um, and so I, I, I think that I think that we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Check back. And you know what? How many more years is he even going to coach? I mean, he, yeah. he's got a small window. And I think it's, in my opinion, it's less about winning a championship there 
more about keeping that franchise relevant, keeping Jason Light employed. Maybe he can get a coach in waiting ready in three or four years. But, I mean, like, it's a small window to, to get a title in. But, you know, I, I wish him well. I hope he succeeds because he's the greatest coach they've ever had. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that Arians, in essence, is setting up almost a similar avenue to what we saw in Arizona, except he gets Todd Bowles back. That was something we Cardinals fans had wondered if Bowles had been let go, would he come back? He was even, you know, people wondered if he would come back to Arizona was what some had, some people had questioned, but it was always obvious he was going to be reunited with BA. What's interesting is the comparison of when Arians left the Cardinals, he was obviously pushing for like a James Betcher type to be a future head coach. And he said he would have probably hung around. Maybe this is, you know, in some alternate form. The Cardinals go through and have a rough season with James Betcher, but maybe their defense is a bit better. Perhaps on offense, they're struggling. Who knows if the quarterback's the same case. Uh, Perhaps you end up seeing a very different approach to the Cardinals where Bruce Arians ends up being back in 2020. And that whole idea of Arians handing off his legacy to a guy like a Byron Leftwich or to a Todd Bowles and then keeping that type of, traction moving forward that's I think what all Cardinals fans really wanted from Bruce Arians was hey well when now and then when 2016 hits you were like hey let's go ahead get a new quarterback bring in a guy like Mahomes get a new head coach kind of hand this thing off for the future where you've got that legacy intact where the team can be a perpetual winner and we never got that the team decided not to go down that route I think looking back on it now with how the Cardinals ended up in this spot where now you've got a 21 year old Kyler Murray paired with a 39-year-old Cliff Kingsbury, and at least a very competent defensive coordinator who fits the scheme in Vance Joseph. I don't think fans are complaining that much. It doesn't feel like fans are maybe maybe not too upset at Bruce Arians, but it is interesting, at least, that Tampa seems to be trying to pursue what a lot of Cardinals fans ultimately wanted with Bruce Arians. I think that will be very fascinating, especially if like I said, Tampa has some instant success because that was all that a lot of Cardinals fans wanted to hear was for Arians to come in, find the heir apparent, and then head off into the sunset with his legacy intact. And now it seems like there's <laughs> there's a chance for that to happen again, but it's now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers instead. All right, uh, John, let's go ahead and get to some Q&A at least with all of those. So um, let's do it. Let's start off with um, at Sheldon0501. Um, He's got three sets of questions. Each of these I think are fantastic. First one he said is, what will be the team's record next year? And so, John, you and I went over on our previous schedule podcast. Pre-draft. We did that pre-draft. Pre-draft for that. We kind of settled on about a six. So they don't count at all. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of settled on about six and ten because we were wondering – is this team going to be, you know, they double their win total from where they were last year, taking a step forward. I think with a lot of people, at least it seems like there's a bit more optimism as far as that. I don't know if you don't can. Don't do it. I don't, don't think do you can it. say it. What I'll say is this. If the Cardinals come in and can kind of surprise the team like the Lions right up front, maybe you add another win. You say you're a seven and nine. Maybe you get lucky. Like we even talked about if Kyler comes in and lit it up, maybe the max you were looking at was like 10 or 11. And I, I think that's a bit of a surprise. I'll at least say this though. I think that the team has raised enough attention and expectations where people might be, do you think that people would be disappointed in a six and 10 season, John? I hope not. Um, I, I did five and 11. I will bump it up to six and 10. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, everybody. You got me to bump it up one win. Um, you should not – the Cardinals still have one of the weakest rosters. These rookies haven't played it down yet. Yep. Injuries happen, unfortunately. Uh, they're in a loaded division with two playoff teams. San Francisco gets their quarterback back. Like, 
they can show you can have a really this don't you know don't hold this to you can have a really fun season at six and ten if you're seeing growth in the right areas if Murray's on fire if these young players emerge if you've got production defensively uh, you know they couldn't stop the run last year I mean like little things like that but in my opinion you know I think the first half of their schedule is very doable especially with the three out of four at home I think I think they could I think they could split that Um, you talk about Carolina Detroit at Baltimore who I think is going to regress this year and then at Seattle the do factor um, and then Cincinnati, Atlanta, both, you know, subpar defensively, obviously Atlanta's got superior quarterback play. And then you wrap up with, could you be, you could be playing Daniel Jones at MetLife stadium yeah. week seven. And then of course you got the, the auto loss there, October 27th against new Orleans. Like, I, I, I don't want to say that they could go four and four, but I think that if they, if they have a hot start to the season, I could see them inching their way closer to like a seven, nine, eight and eight finish. Um, and you know, maybe they come out of that first, you know, two months and they're five and three. I don't know. But the second half, you know, you're going to play San Francisco, a hungry team twice. We just mentioned the aforementioned uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You got to go to Seattle. You got to go to L.A. You host the red hot um, uh, Cleveland Browns. You host Pittsburgh. You play the Rams twice. I mean, like, theoretically, you're going to be lucky if you win two out of those eight games, just in my opinion, based on the scheduling. Uh, your only hope is if LA's sitting people week 17 again. Yep. So, so the, I just, seven and nine, there you go. Yeah, That's uh, I'm not saying Fisher, our new, uh, our new pod father, at least for that one. Long may he saying we've got a seven and nine record prediction for the Cardinals next year. And uh, I, as long as the games I think are more entertaining, John, I would, I would agree with you there. I don't think it's going to be a spot where the Cardinals are going to really be able to, uh, take a huge step forward unless there's one or both two teams in the division take a step back. The Rams would have to take okay. a step back from last year where you're not losing, you know, 30 to nine to the Rams. If you can split and the Rams take enough of a step back, you know, you're still going to have uh, some guys coming off of ACL, some team and some talent that's leaving. They've had a lot of guys like Roger Saffold who's leaving Sue, obviously. But if the Rams take enough of a step back where the Cardinals are able to compete, maybe you're right. Maybe it is a spot where either they sit guys or Cardinals decide to play spoiler similar to, I think, back to that uh, Seattle Seahawks game where the Cardinals were able to tough a win out in that 2013 season with that Michael Floyd touchdown. Maybe you end up kind of taking a leg up there. Um, the Seahawks, it'll really be interesting. I know that some some people at least think that the Seahawks were – overachieving last year with running the ball. Some people think they were underachieving at least as far as with their team and their defense where they were reloaded. They obviously are missing an edge rusher that had a lot of impact in Frank Clark. Uh, What I think you're right on, John, is to start the year, and this is a a point that some fantasy experts had brought up and kind of noticed the conversation was, look at the Lions with Matt Patricia. You look at the Panthers' defense, at least, who really didn't do as much to retool their defense as you like. The Seahawks have been running the same defense. Bengals couldn't find a defensive coordinator and the Giants at least are kind of in a spot where they lost guys in Landon Collins and Damon Harrison and replaced them with maybe lesser talent. They're going to be bad on defense. It might be a really good defense for that one. At least we saw even with James Dutcher and his defense where there was talent the Cardinals had and it was under coach. Maybe he can turn it around. But when you're right and talking about if the Cardinals get off to a fast start, some of those teams, like if Cliff Kingsbury comes out, and kind of has this brand new defense no one's expecting. They don't have film on it. Kyler's able to kind of 
make a difference running the ball, maybe that's where you get an early start, and then it's later in the season where teams start catching up and you have a gauntlet. I just feel like Kyler at home is going to be a thing. Like, yeah. I think that – in not front of the, outdoors. Yeah, in front of the crowd on that turf um, with just how many, you know, how many people fill that stadium? 70,000 yep. people, 67, I don't know how many people go or fit in the stadium, just – praising Kyler Murray all at once in in his favor as long as you know like Dallas isn't in town or something but <laughs> just just I think that's going to be overwhelming for some teams and I think he's that kind of player where he can will you specifically at home but like these short you know east coast start times like those are going to be tough for him and the rest of the team right this the, the, yep. we're making fun of the Giants like that's that's going to be a tough road trip um so but yeah I do think that like what you want from him and the rest of the team is you just want to be in every game. We want to be able to watch these games, unlike last year, through the third quarter and have it be semi-competitive. And if you're not closing out wins this year, you know, it is what it is. But at the same time, at least you're, you're – like the worst part about the Cardinals last year, I don't mean to keep bringing them up, was you never felt growth week to week. You had nothing consistently right. to build on. Um, they gave you – you know, it's – very much like the team got worse as the season progressed, which is a direct reflection of coaching. Talk about Rosen looked his best early on before he got battered and beaten. The, the team didn't adjust. And then, of course, you know, pile on with injuries. So if the Cardinals are a team trending up at the end of the year, no matter how they finish, I think that that's, that's best case scenario for me. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, it'll come down to, for me, if the Cardinals are going to go more than like the maximum of an eight and eight, it would have to have – you know, a team that would take a step back. And the big thing for me, obviously, as a swing team would be, is this the year that the Niners, who people have had as a potential breakout team for a couple of years, is this kind of finally their breakout year? Or is this where you still are talking about different struggles and not making enough progress? And if Garoppolo hasn't really stepped up to kind of take that next step after the first few games he did with Janet, and that's something I'm, I have no idea, John. Like, it, it might be that this is kind of the breakout season you're looking for. But I, for us, at least as far as where this team will be, we'll see how we feel after that. When we go into that Thursday night game, are we going into it with, you know, dread or with optimism? Because then you're playing the Bucks on the road. You go back to the Niners on the road and then go into your late bye week. Um, or is it where we look at the Rams, if they're competitive against the Rams, they play the Steelers at home. We're going into the Browns game and Kyler has been looking great as a rookie. The team has been playing well enough on defense and their offense has been explosive. And we go into that Browns game where you're getting a lot of national attention for that game. Then I think all of a sudden it's going to be a totally different atmosphere. So that will be kind of the crux to their season. I think John will be, how do we feel about that Browns game at the end of the year? And then do we feel like, totally. hey, I think that will be kind of the big determining factor. If it's more of the result of a year of improvement and growth, or if it's going to be, we're going into that spot, like, Oh gosh, you're about to play the Browns for this one. Or like, are we going to see Steve Wilkes like, uh, and they're, team is it going to be kind of a revenge game or is it going to be a revenge game for the Browns and Baker and a lot of the Cardinals is you know maybe they're a dream team that kind of stumbles a bit as well they've got Steve Wilkes as their defensive coordinator and a first year head coach who started eight or so games last year and the Cardinals didn't want to keep so I, you're, it's your best guess John is mine um yep. and another question that we have at least um is there a chance that Kyler decides to go back to baseball I would say no for the first 
five years because the Cardinals, not only will the contract not allow it, it would be an awful spot for Kyler after paying up the $5 million. And the Cardinals, as, as far as we know, obviously they're going to have protection. He, it would really, really hurt and not benefit Kyler at all. And he'd have to go back to the minor league farm system, obviously, after that whole factor. So I don't think that there's any chance of it at this point now the only time you would obviously say is let's say that he ends up with a serious injury is out of the league and then maybe at age 28 he decides to kind of go back but right now it seems John like you and I kind of agree that it's basically a done deal for the most part yeah there's just too much money to make in the NFL and I and I know baseball players make egregious amounts of money but that's the top one percent of the one percent I mean I 20 quarterbacks out of 32 teams generally get paid big money or get off for big money. I mean, people are talking about, we just mentioned Jameis Winston. If he has a good year this year, he's probably going to get a $100 million contract, as crazy as that sounds. Like, if he had a Pro Bowl season with Arians, they're going to pay him that money, or they're going to franchise him $30 million a year. With Kyler, like you just mentioned, if he would go back to baseball only if his NFL career, in my opinion, at this point, he's the first overall pick. He's been anointed the franchise. Um, he's got an offensive coach who he has a good relationship with. A lot of things aligned really well for Kyler Murray first overall and I'm not tooting the Cardinals horn but like say you know an expansion team originally like Jacksonville took Kyler Murray didn't really have a fan base fan base is partially in London right and I'm not trying to rip on other franchises I'm just like you know ideally he gets to play semi-close to home he's in good weather I mean there are a lot of pros you know how I feel about Phoenix as a city in general but I, I think if Murray ha- gets hurt knock on wood and just doesn't play overly well is has a very similar trajectory like like RG3, who got hurt, his play affected it. He was a backup for a couple teams. Even, I think, before he got, gets to that point, I think Kyler would say, you know, what are my options with Oakland? What are they willing to pay me? Can I just go straight to maybe AAA, you know, on a, you know, a, you know reinforced salary? I, if Kyler, Kyler plays well, even with the Cardinals maybe not playing well, I think there's a better chance of Kyler's people because Kyler is very much a, a – already a player empowerment guy. He's got some videos out with LeBron. Like the Cardinals need to be aware of that. Like you got you, your franchise, if Murray exceeds to superstardom, you got to be on his level with your game. You got to get him the right personnel. And I'm not saying that, you know, each party could make mistakes in this scenario, but like I could see it'd be a more likely scenario. If the Cardinals aren't taking care of business, they're finishing seven and nine, eight and eight. And Kyler's, you know, leading the league in offense, but, you know, they can't get X, Y, and Z right. They're firing coaches. They're firing GMs. Yeah. I could see Murray and his camp saying, we're holding out, trade us to a different team. Let me go to Dallas. Let me go to a big market. Let me go to, you know, wherever. Um, and, and, and sitting out some time and the Cardinals having to, to package him away. or, or so I just think that's more Worst likely. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think he's bound if he, if he pans out for – you know, Mahomes is supposed to supposedly going to get a hundred and fifty million dollar contract at some point. Like, could Kyler Murray see a hundred and seventy five million dollar contract? I mean, these are the questions I think that are more likely. And we just saw like Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Trout; those guys eclipse three hundred million. I mean, that's the one percent of the one percent. Yeah. And are you are you going to play a position player like Kyler Murray who doesn't hit bombs? I mean, he's a he's a rangy outfielder. He probably hit for average, but like his ceiling is not. 30, 40 home runs a year, at least I don't think so. I don't think that he was that kind of minor league player unless you're a, you know an elite lefty starter or somebody like that, a number three hitter, you're not going to make that kind of money. And so at the end of the day, his traits best suit the NFL and so does his bank account. 
Yeah, definitely. And the other thing that obviously we haven't talked about that's been fascinating is just the endorsement deals where you're looking at as far as like Rob Gronkowski recently retired. Great point. And he had, um, you know, a ton of endorsement deals. I know Peyton Manning at least in one year earned, I think it was $12 million or so from endorsements. I think it was with Papa John's and Nationwide and some of the others. So if you're talking about it, it's not the same as NFL money directly. Like obviously it's not 150 million a year, but if you if you end up reaching that level of, you know, a uh, of where and this is why the Cardinals drafted him obviously was because they're hoping they could have a potential superstar you start making about 12 million dollars a year you add that on to what your contract is where you're getting paid you know 14 15 eventually you're going to start seeing like the 25 million dollar a year contracts if there's a mega deal add 10 million dollars onto that all of a sudden you start getting 35 million a year things change so drastically for you at least I think where that's another factor and that's something where in baseball you do get huge endorsement deals but because there's not a salary cap and the cap of course is going up there's a new CBA so I think that we're in a spot where because of Kyler Murray essentially realizing hey if I can make $30 million, $36 million guaranteed from the NFL, plus can end up having superstardom potential versus taking $5 million now, we heard obviously from articles that Oakland was apparently offering up to $15 million. He's still going to double at least that amount of money just from the that first jump change, contract. Man, NFL quarterbacks so, are making big time money now. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's going to only get different bigger. Game. It's only going to get bigger for that. Uh, let's go on to another question, at least that we had here. Uh, will the offense be ranked in the top 10 or is that unrealistic? So here's Ooh, kind of where I, like I stand because I love this question because what I'll say is I'll say it's a yes and a no. I don't think it's unrealistic, but I do think that I would much more likely to say top 15. And the reason why I would say I think the Cardinals will make that big of a jump is when you see a defensive head coach leave and an offensive head coach take over, because of the lack of film, because a lot of the creativity where you put such a emphasis on the offensive side of the football, because you're looking for explosive plays, you're not trying to run the ball all the time. You're also looking at David Johnson coming back in at least uh, healthy, at least after a another good season, he's looking to prove himself. And when you're factoring in a running threat like Kyler Murray, and we've seen this with uh, different types of offenses with the air raid you're going to be looking at a quarterback who's going to be able to run plus a running back who's a threat like a David Johnson you added in a couple of these other deep threat guys I think that just that fact alone of teams are going to be running into a similar thing with Lamar Jackson last year as soon as you get into the red zone it's going to be almost instant death because how are you going to stop Kyler Murray throwing the ball who's got a heck of an arm and is accurate being able to hand it off to David Johnson being able to have the different read concepts and of course hey look we covered all the players and we've got David Johnson covered. Kyler just takes off and can sprint 25 yards right and beat everyone to the end zone. That's where I think the Cardinals are going to probably launch themselves into the top 15. Now, how good they'll be able to go from there really depends on the top 10, but uh, I'll finish off my kind of portion with this, John, just looking at offenses over the last few years in the NFL. You look at 2016, or 2016, the Cardinals, they were a top 10 offense. It really was just the Fitz and David Johnson show didn't have as much to speak of with Carson Palmer. They still were a top 10 offense that year. But you look at 2017, the leader in yards per game was about 394 yards. That was New England, followed by 391 yards a game with New Orleans. You know, you saw Pittsburgh, the Chargers were in there. You jump to this next year, and that 394 leading the league jumps up to 425 yards a game with the Chiefs, 421 with the Rams. Tampa Bay Buccaneers were just throwing the ball was 415 yards, and then Pittsburgh even was at 400-plus yards a game. So 
we're seeing an offensive explosion with the new rules in the NFL where teams are throwing the ball so much more, the yards are getting bigger and being increased. So that honestly would not surprise me if this air raid coming in with all these passing does push the Cardinals into the top 10. So no, I don't think it's unrealistic to say that, but I do think that setting the expectations that high is a bit there. So I'll say, I'll, I'll say, Hey, top 15, I'll take that bet any day of the week. Cause I do think there will be a boost, but I'm not willing to say top 10 just yet. Yeah, top 15, I think, is is very, very likely. I think you look at the teams that like finished in the top 16, the Giants, who everybody dogs. Eli Manning last year were, was the 16th scoring offense, 23 points per game. Um, Carolina, who's a middling team, the Packers with and without Aaron Rodgers. Baltimore, who just consistently ran the football. I mean, that's the sweet spot for the Cardinals. You want to play top 10 football offensively in the NFL, I mean – it's the usual suspects, right? Rams, Saints, Patriots, luck that he's back, the Chargers, the Steelers, the Seahawks. Then you have a couple teams that emerged last year. Kansas City, obviously was a, the number four scoring offense the year before with Alex Smith, but then took the world on fire. Chicago, who snuck in there with Trubisky's again second year. Now, I think we'd all agree Kyler Murray probably might be a better quarterback than, than Mr. Trubisky is right now. Um, but <laughs> Uh, I, I will give Mitch credit. He had a big jump from year one and year two, and that's why they're in the top 10 of offense. And it rounds it out with Atlanta at number 10, and they averaged uh, 25.1 points per game. So the Cardinals would have to see roughly a 11, 12 point turnaround to get to that point. That's a lot. That's almost two touchdowns more a game than what they were averaging last year. Um, and so I, I think top 15 is it's much more likely. I think that we're going to we're gonna, it's not going to be as balanced as people think from an on-the-field product when you watch it, but I think when you look at the box score with the amount of rushing yards that Kyler's going to have, it's going to be one of the more balanced offenses statistically in the NFL, but you know they're going to be in shotgun 99% of the time, and you know they could be trailing in some games. Vance Joseph's defense usually takes them a little while to get going, um, if at all, during, during the course of a season, and the Cardinals aren't bulletproof defensively by any means. So it could be in some shootouts, but I, I think that – they're going to play enough sand yard football um, to, I think, get into those low 20s pretty easily, right around 21, 22 points per game. I mean, Dallas was a playoff team last year, only had 21 points per game, but of course they were tremendous defensively. I think the Cardinals' sweet spot is from about 17. I'll give you till maybe 12. That would be yeah. a hell of a turnaround. It would be. Um, I, I think the expectation is more that the Cardinals need to, reaff you know, reaffirm themselves as a top half of the league defense with the amount of players that they're paying defensively big money to Hicks big money to Chandler Jones Terrell Suggs you brought him in gave a nice defensive lineman contract to the kid from San or Los Angeles Peterson makes big money Robert Alford got a nice contract Buddha's you know ascending player I, I think the expect I mean the Cardinals have nowhere to go but up offensively both record wise and points per game and yep. so I think I think that's, that's why there's not quite as much pressure as, you know, some would like you to have. I think defensively there's, there's a decent amount of pressure. So I'll go, I'll go somewhere between 17 and 12. Yeah, between 17 and 12, I think that would be a good landing spot. Also, it's uh, important to note uh, the Bucks were a top five offense last year, um, and they uh, ended up with a top five pick. So uh, like you said, guys, like the Cardinals are more entertaining, and they're able to put up offensive production. I'm not sure if it'll – it may be that it perfectly does translate to wins. Sometimes it does not. So that's the one thing I think is that all Cardinals fans would love is to be able to have – football be fun again in the valley if the cardinals can win can make you know a push out of it then we'll be along for that ride
Uh, here's a good question. What player could be a surprise cut from the Cardinals roster for OTAs from at Dante Silva 77. I'll answer with my thoughts here and I'll give an, a bonus as well. I think that the biggest surprise cuts, if you're going to look for one, uh, the, the one that wouldn't probably be as much of a surprise would be Brandon Williams. But the one that I would think that would be the surprise keep would be Kendichi. And I think that he'll stay because of the fact that not only is it going to be the, in fact, he's recovering from an ACL, so the Cardinals will have to keep him. But uh, I think that they are going to end up essentially just not looking to trade or to move on from it for each one. I think that he's going to be a guy that they'll just say about bringing maybe at the end of the year, and eventually he'll go elsewhere. Um, but I do think that they're going to try to at least get some use out of him, maybe rotating in, but just because of the fact that he's still recovering, it was kind of a late tear. The one that I would have that would be kind of maybe not a surprise cut, but let's say the Cardinals go out and are able to find and bring in a another linebacker. I have a f wondering if Hassan Reddick ends up maybe not dealt before the training camp or the other side of before the season, but maybe that's a guy who they start talking about as being, Hey, like this season may not end up making it. And then perhaps it's mid season. The Cardinals kind of put him on the trade block would be a possibility just because this is kind of that make or break it year. And I, I'm just not sold at least on his uh, ability to fit in what Vance Joseph wants, but maybe I'll be wrong on that, John. Yeah, I'll go Chad Williams. I'll go the other Williams. I, I, I don't know if this is a surprise. It's a surprise to me when I see he was still on the roster. I'd forgotten about him even before the draft. But you talk about the slew of talent they brought in at the receiver position, tailor-made for Kingsbury's offense. They brought back Fitzgerald. Christian Kirk is an ascending player, I think, that's going to eclipse 1,000 yards. They used his second-round pick on a receiver, Annie Isabella, who's going to play a ton, Hakeem Butler, He's already a better player today than Chad Williams is. Is pick 103 at the top of the fourth round. So there's four receivers just right off the back. Then I would think Kevin White would have priority over him. Williams is kind of a tweener. You know, he doesn't have great size or speed. At least with Kevin White, he's got the pedigree of being a former first-rounder, so he's got the measurables. So there's five, and I think they keep six or seven. Farrell Cooper is going to be on this roster because they claimed him as an elite return specialist. There's six. So you're going to play Chad Williams over somebody like Trent Sherfield if you keep a seventh receiver after what mm -hmm. Trent Sherfield did. The, the, I mean, Trent Sherfield in, uh, I believe, one season has more receiving yards <laughs> and just as many touchdowns as yep. um, Chad Williams does. Chad Williams, 202 in, I believe, two years, and Trent Sherfield with uh, 210 receiving yards in just one year. Uh, just, just a better player at this point. So – I, it's going to be tough swallowing pick uh, 98 from just 2017. Boy, that 2017 draft was rough outside of Buddha. Yeah. Buddha. But, um, I, yeah, I think I think more so than, than Brandon, I think that he is – because at least Brandon's given been, been given an opportunity and has played. He hasn't played well, but you've seen him on the – like I, I don't remember 10 snaps that, that Chad Williams had for this franchise. And so I, I think I'm at the point now where it's just like you almost just need to cut your losses because if you don't address receiver now, which they did – and you can't find somebody who's a stud, you know, with next year's class, it's going to be plenty of options. So he's, he's going to be on the outs, whether he's throwing in as a part of a, you know, a seventh round trade or you, a player for a player that you think you could make your final roster is depth, but Cardinals have too many good options right now. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. Chad Williams, always the trivia answer to uh, who Josh Rosen threw his first NFL touchdown to be interesting. Yep. You know, if at least if the, you know, I obviously hope for the best for him. He was a talented athlete coming out. Um, the one that I'll pick a, just before we move on from this is maybe a surprise is with the Cardinals having David Johnson and Chase Edmonds, they're bringing in an undrafted guy having 
one of TJ Logan or DJ Foster will be interesting, especially if you keep Farrell Cooper as a return man. Do you keep Logan as a return man and then Cooper as the punt specialist, or do you kind of put Cooper back in both those roles? We know that Andy Isabella is also a punt returner for the team as well. It'll be interesting because you have kind of a log jam at those positions. Foster's coming off of an injury, and though even though he can play running back and wide receiver, I would be kind of shocked if all of those guys do end up making it on the roster this year. All right, we've got our last question for tonight, um, and this is gonna. This is one that'll be a, is a fun one. Uh, Lamont Galliard, uh, the sixth round center out of Georgia, does he have a chance to beat on Mason Cole and or AQ Shipley for the center spot now or in the future? And wh- who are the wide receivers that we see making it on the final roster? This is from at Monster. Well, we just 3. covered that, right? So we we covered the receiver portion. Yeah. Well, um, well, let's go over our list. So who would be? Let's say they keep. Let's say seven. Let's say six for the sake of this argument, because okay, I'll go with seven. I think seven's the easy. Uh, six will be interesting because if you talk about with Fitz is one Kirk is two Isabella and Butler is three and four then you start getting into five let's assume that goes to Pharaoh Cooper all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you've got Sherfield you've got uh, Keyshawn Johnson oh yeah we forgot about Keyshawn Keyshawn Johnson at least that's why I have a feeling that they may keep seven if they keep Cooper because otherwise you're gonna have to get someone else I think they keep that rule so yeah, Just if they keep Aaron Cooper, then yep. So that that's the case. And there's your five where they keep Cooper. So then you've got Keyshawn fighting Sherfield for you know that sixth spot, and then suddenly you're going to look at the other wide receivers. Kevin White's gone. Chad Williams gone. Be gone. That scenario. You're going to. I think so Oliver. because Kevin White's not going to play special teams for you. Keyshawn's going to. Mm-hmm. Trent and Keyshawn are going to be gunners on the punt team, and they're going to play on the kickoff team. Kevin White to me is a, a complete you know, expendable player if they hadn't have gotten Hakeem Butler in the draft because they really didn't have anybody with that kind of size. Um, yeah, I, I'd forgotten about yeah. uh, Keyshawn, so he absolutely Kirk. makes the team, I, yeah. I think. So that's where you've got Fitz and Kirk. There's two. Butler and Isabella, there's two. Sherfield and Johnson, there's two. So that's where you've got your six guys already right there. So if you're going to keep Farrell Cooper, you got to keep seven guys that's there. So that's where I think it's going to be interesting uh, to watch the camp battles because Kevin White looks like he's going to be making a comeback if uh, it puts Keyshawn Johnson's spot in danger. So that's where it'll be fascinating to see how this will work out, at least, John, because I think that that sixth and even if they keep seven guys, there's still going to be a log jam at that spot. So uh, let's go and move on and talk about um, Lamont Galliard because I've had some people who've ranged from saying he's going to be a valuable interior swing guy to some even saying like the Cardinals got to start it, I think, in the sixth round. So do you think that Galliard, is he a guy who has got a chance at the job? Do you think it's going to be a spot where this isn't someone we can put a lot of kind of investment to? The Cardinals didn't put as much investment to. I know from everything I read, most teams had a – fourth round grade on him and I do think that there is a chance that he could threaten for the spot I don't know if it's going to be a as a starter off the bat but I think that there's absolutely a possibility that he could compete for the position there at either center or at guard and for me I think it'd be more likely at center yeah Eric Edholm was on him last week when we when we spoke to him uh he was a former all SEC center uh and and did fairly well against Quentin Williams I mean we talked about it last week how many thousand yard rushers can we name from Georgia and he was a multi-year starter on the offensive line I would pump the brakes with with starter immediately it's we've seen it you know throughout the duration of the last CBA tenure with these linemen it's hard to crack the starting lineup as a rookie they're they're just not prepared and then you're talking about a, a late day three pick um, you know, everybody was clamoring for Mason Cole last year, and he was going to be the backup, even as a fairly high third-round pick. 
A.Q. Shipley's very much a journeyman at this point. They were sliding A.Q. Shipley over Mason Cole. It wasn't yep. until an injury to A.Q. Shipley that Mason Cole was thrust into the lineup. And he played pretty below average football, but again, he's a rookie. He's a, you know, he's a mid-rounder. So then you, you, Lamont Gilliard is about, I think, you know, 90 picks after wherever Mason Cole went. So yeah. I, I would temper our expectations. I think it's a good season if he's on the roster all year and they, he, if he comes in for a spot start, great, and he, and he shows well. With these linemen, rep, repetition is so important. Mm-hmm. Technique is so important. They haven't been exposed to nearly enough NFL coaching. Um, now, I do think that the style of play that Kingsbury is going to run with a lot of these quick hitters, I think that's going to help the state of this offensive line where they're not being asked to hold their blocks as long as they were in the Arians era, in the Mike McCoy era. And so I, I do think that will help. And hopefully, fingers crossed, they can stay somewhat healthy on the offensive line. They signed Max Garcia, which I had forgotten about because that seems like forever ago. Yeah. Pew is what he is at this point. J.R. Sweezy's replaceable. And Mason Cole and A.Q. Shipley are going are gonna to fight it out. So I think he has a really good chance to make the team. Mm-hmm. And we'll just, we'll just go from there. I think that that second team um, offense in the preseason could feature him and Brett Hundley and Chase Edmonds and T.J. Logan. That, be, that might be fun to watch just to see if he, you know, if he plays well. You generally hear with these offensive linemen because the things get so physical in the summer, yeah. depending on who the coach is. Like you can hear up front, like, man, Lamont Gilliard is showing off at camp. He's got explosiveness. He's pushing people around. That usually translates. If you start to hear things like that, it's like, oh, he's, he's a real player. Yep. Um, but if, if it's, if we get tweets from, you know, the Cardinal media that he's, you know, third or fourth on the depth chart, I mean, it's a big learning curve. So mm-hmm. that's why I, I tend to get, you know, buck my expectations or my, you know, excitement about a lot of these day three linemen, because generally they're, they just end up being backups and, and journeymen, but I, I'm pulling for them. God, if there's yep. any positions the Cardinals need to hit on late for any position group, it's yes. any of the offensive linemen, one through five, it doesn't matter at this point, And they're so due to hit on one that it, it might as well be Lamont Gilliard. Yeah, I know. The the biggest thing that I'll say is, and I may be a little bit more bullish, but from looking at where people had him ranked as a fourth rounder, some even had him ranked ahead of Ross Pierschbacher from Alabama, where who went, was drafted like two rounds ahead of him. The one thing that I'll at least say is, I think it will come down to the fact that even though both Cole and Galliard are versatile, because Galliard started, uh, what was that? I think at least a I it was like some 40 something games, almost all of them. at Oh yeah. He's, center. he's super productive. Yeah. He started yeah, 30 games at center for that one straight in Georgia. I think what it'll be interesting is if Mason Cole is struggling with his shotgun snaps in camp. And that's something that I think we, I heard a bit pre-draft from someone who told me that the Cardinals, that was part of the reason why there was some interest in Eric McCoy coming out of, you know, a power spread type of uh, almost like an air raid type of offense at Texas A&M that if the offense is 99% shotgun, if Mason Cole, who started all these years at left tackle, didn't get to start as much. And there was, you know, it wasn't like it was bad for the snaps. It was just there was times where it misfired. I think that it'll come down to if Cole's not able to snap as consistently versus the experience that you're seeing A.Q. Shipley have and that Galliard has and may turn into a, a competition between Galliard and, uh, and A.Q. Shipley. And that would be, you know, maybe a bit of a stunner to see for the most part, but we were talking about experience and the fact that Cole's swing and that flexibility if Max Garcia is coming off of an injury. You could put him behind a pew if you can put him behind a J.R. Sweezy, at least as a guard, where, you know, you, depending on the injuries, 
or depending on, you know, if Sweezy's got anything left in the, the tank, then you maybe end up looking at it saying, hey, look, this is great. We've got the ability to plug in whoever wins that battle for that one there, knowing we've got a, a strong enough backup. And can I just, can I just say, spot too. AQ Shipley taking the starting job from both Mason Cole and, and Lamont Gillier to a lesser extent is the equivalent of Bruce Arians being so displeased with his center group <laughs> in 2013 that he got Lyle Sinline to essentially come out of retirement yep. late in the summer and start for him. And he had no, he had no, they had no connections to Lyle other than he was previously a part of associated with the franchise and Ken Wisenhut. That just seems like the same scenario here where Kingsbury has no affiliation with AQ Shipley. They started a rookie center last year and then they're just going to, they could potentially leapfrog him and play this like 30 plus year old, center that's that's it's such a cardinal move oh yeah it would be and it would be also a move where i would just show the the failure at least of mason cole who he was he was a third round pick last year john he started at center for yeah. every Bain game was a fourth round pick the, the year one. before yeah. two, two two years prior yeah, i mean like yeah. cardinals don't do well drafting linemen guys that's not breaking news yeah so if you move him over if there's issues then that's gonna be something like, obviously john what i would love would be for mason cole to go out and then take that next step and become a you know top 15 top 20 starting center in the NFL with everything. I think that would be obvious what most fans would hope for would be to get the right spot on that pick. But if at worst you do end up moving on with Galliard as a starter, or if you end up with AQ Shipley having to be there, at least you've got that depth and at least you'll know they'll probably be drafting a center early again, unfortunately next year, because you've been pouring enough late round picks at, at the position. But and you so know what? Here's what, what I'll say about like Lamont Gilliard. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'll say. If Lamont Gilliard is a backup for four or five years on his rookie contract for the Cardinals, that's still a good pick oh, in yeah, the sixth, sixth round. round. I think that's what fans need to understand. Like, not everybody's a starter. Not everybody's a sub-starter. Some guys are backups, and that's fine. Mason Cole was drafted with the intent to be a starter for the Cardinals. And so his expectations are you need to play and potentially play at, a, like you just mentioned, a top 10 center level in the NFL. Lamont Gilliard, his goal right now is just to make the team. So I – I, we have different expectations based on uh, it's it's fair or not. Guys who have guys who are drafted in the first two or three rounds have high expectations where you better perform and you better perform early. Day three guys, it's very much you know outside of the outlier like Hakeem Butler that you get right at the top of the fourth. Yeah. These guys don't have a lot of expectations, so I feel like that's why it's so special that you get if you ever get production from them. But yeah, you you, you hit the nail on the head, Mason Cole where he was drafted, mm-hmm. he needs to turn into a starter for them at minimum. And last year, at least, I will give him credit, he stayed healthy and he played every game. He got his butt kicked, but he played well every game. And who knows? I mean, like, A.Q. Shipley, I think, was, you know, a middle-of-the-pack offensive lineman. He developed later in his career. I I just – I would hope that, that Cole can just stay on the path of just holding down that starting spot and being being a competent player. Yep, we definitely agree with that. But yeah, watch out for Galliard because that's one of the interesting uh, interesting tidbits is you end up getting a sixth round pick to have any type of you know production like that as a backup or moving forward. That'll be something to watch, John. That'll be something to watch. Well, thanks again for all your questions, guys. Always you can use at, uh, at uh, I believe it's the hashtag AskROTBPod or just at ROTBPod. Love the questions, guys. Love the questions. You guys have had some great ones. Um, that'll basically wrap it up for our draft coverage for this year. What we'll be more focusing on for the rest of the summer, there'll be maybe some news that we'll see around the NFL. I know we'll be probably previewing uh, other things as far as having more meetings with talking with teams. Maybe if there's anything that we find out more about the Kyler draft story, at least there's other guests we'll be able to bring on. But as always, um, you can subscribe over. Uh, we obviously love subscriptions. Um, 
Well, one thing I've been talking about with John a little bit, we'd love to do at least some sort of trying to figure out a getaway for some subscribers and listeners. Uh, we'll have more details on that as we get into the summer. So like just kind of throwing it out there early, but still a little ways away from that, obviously, at least for right now. But um, make sure obviously you can go ahead, like, and subscribe and make sure you do follow us on Twitter as well at ROTB pod. As always, you can follow us at Revenge of the Birds for all the rest of our podcasts. Uh, where can they follow you now, John? I am. I have a new handle, thanks to Kyler and his family, uh, at Johnny Touchdown, J-O-H-N-N-Y Touchdown. No numbers uh, this time. Yeah, we appreciate the interaction. We, we can't thank you enough for the support. Uh, we saw a spike in our productivity um, and our, our listens over the course of draft season. So people want to talk and hear people talk about Kyler Murray in the Rosen situation. Uh, unbiasedly, we will continue to strive to do that best of our ability. We will continue, like Blake said, to to bring on um, prominent NFL writers to give you a, a perspective you otherwise couldn't get. And yes, we would love to do a giveaway. We need more people to subscribe to the pod so we can afford to give things away. But yeah, appreciate everybody uh, listening. Definitely for that one here. And uh, yeah, uh, take care, guys. Have a good one. Go Bird Gang. And uh, thanks again, always, to uh, our new pod, our new kind of, um, uh, what I can say, like the, um, it's a good word, at least for that one. I, I, guess was, I was going to say the Fisher King was what I was thinking of, at least with Jeff Fisher, at least for that one with Jeff Fisher. Shout out oh, to Jeff that. Fisher. Oh, yeah. And then I'll shout out, we'll finish it up with a tweet from Hakeem Butler, at least, who said, if I knew, uh, he's watching the NBA Finals right now, apparently there was a controversial call. He just tweeted out and said, um, I knew that you could stiff arm, I would have uh, joined and done basketball instead of doing football. <laughs> he was a noted uh, the Cardinals benefit player. from that not happening. Yeah, exactly. He was a noted basketball player and his cousins were actually pro NBA players at least. So uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing what Hakeem the Dream does with the Cardinals moving forward. Take care and have a good one, folks.